0: All right, let's read our text, Matthew, I mean, uh, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke wrote it, but it's Acts chapter 15, verses 28 through 31. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So these are necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well, farewell. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter, and when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the word of God, and we ask that you would open our hearts and minds, and that you would lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit, and make your word come alive to us, that it would change us and transform us, and conform us to the very image of Jesus. We ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So God gave mankind all foods to eat. This decree to the Gentiles is giving specific guidelines about any kind of food they would eat. So this had to do with things offered to idols, with blood, with things strangled. We talked about that. Specifically, any food you eat could not be Offered to idols, you shouldn't eat food that has blood in it. That doesn't mean you can't have a rare steak, you can. It means the cow before you make that steak should have all the blood let out of it. And you shouldn't eat foods that are strangled. It was never food, though, that made man sinful. So it's not what we eat that makes us sinful. It's our disobedience to God that makes man sinful. Now, when God said don't eat certain things, it wasn't the food that made them sinful. It was the fact that they would disobey God. And God told them to do these things for a very specific problem. So God never had a problem with food. The problem was always man's disobedience. Food never made man sinful. Not even the fruit Adam and Eve ate in the garden. It wasn't the fruit that was sinful. It was the fact that they disobeyed God and ate the fruit when God told them not to. That was the problem. It's man's disobedience to God that makes man sinful. So there's a reason why we need to understand that God gave man all things for food. Before Moses ever lived, there was a man named Noah. You guys know what Noah did, right? He built an ark, and he saved mankind from destruction. When Noah Noah built the ark, and him and his wife and his sons and his daughter-in-laws got on the ark with all of the animals that God brought together, and the flood came and destroyed all living things on the earth. And when Noah got off the ark after the flood and and, and walked back onto the earth, this is what God said to him. Genesis chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. God said to Noah, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So God said to Noah, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I've given it to you. But you shall not eat flesh with its life or its blood. And that's exactly what the Jerusalem council told the Gentile churches. The very same thing God told Noah, from whom we are all descended. So it was never the food that made them sinful. It was the other things that they did in disobedience to God. So God instructed Noah that he could eat everything that God had put on the earth. God instructed Peter about food also, just as God had instructed Noah. And we looked at this in in Acts chapter 10, when God lowers the sheet and says, kill and eat, Peter. And Peter says that There were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And God said, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Lord, nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. And God said to Peter, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And we know that God did this for Peter because he was getting ready to send Peter to the Gentiles and preach the gospel to non-Jewish people. And he wanted Peter to know that the message of the gospel was not just for the Jews, it was for the world. It was for every creed, every color, every tribe, every tongue on the face of the earth. The gospel, the gospel of grace is for the world. But even before Peter got that vision, Jesus had declared all foods clean, Who is Jesus? He's the creator of heaven and earth. And he has authority to call clean what is unclean. This is exactly what God told Peter. Don't call common the things that I have cleaned. And that's exactly what God did with us. He cleansed us in Jesus Christ. But listen to what Jesus said in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 7, verses 14. Says, when Jesus had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? But because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, sexual immorality. That's what that word fornication means. Sexual immorality, it's, it's, it's the word fornication, but it's the very same word that the Jerusalem Council uses when it says abstain from sexual immorality. This is the same word. Murder, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things, Jesus says, all these things come from within and defile a man. Or in the ESV, verse 19 of Mark 7 says, Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. So Jesus declared all foods clean, not because God changes. God didn't change his mind. It's not because God changes, because God doesn't change. It's because God changes things. Certain foods were unclean to Israel because God commanded them not to eat those foods, not because there was something wrong with the food. It was not food that created sin, but disobedience to God's command about the food. It's not God who changes, it's God who changes things. God can call things that are not as though they are. God can call the unclean clean, and he did that. He did that with us. It's why we can hear the gospel and be saved today and we don't have to become Jews and we don't have to keep the law of Moses. And that's what the Jerusalem church was telling these Gentile believers. God does not change things because our circumstances change. Food laws did not change because our culture changed or because their culture changed. It never was the thing that goes in us that defiles us. The issue was never food, it was about the heart of man and the obedience to God's command and God's word. This is important for us to understand as we talk about sexual immorality. So you think about these four very simple things that were listed in this very short letter that set the course for every Gentile believer who would ever believe in Jesus all the way down to us today. This very short letter recorded for us in Acts 15 was written not to us, but it was written for us. And three of the four things commanded in that letter had to do with food. And the fourth was abstain from sexual immorality. Now you might be wondering why I'm talking so much about food. Because people use this very argument today to say that sexual immorality today doesn't mean the same thing it meant before. And we need to understand why that's not true. That sexual immorality in God's eyes means exactly what it did when he gave those words to Moses recorded for us in Leviticus. It means exactly what it meant when God created Adam and Eve in the garden and said, a man and a woman joined together become one flesh, thus defining and thus giving us the foundation of every sexual ethic that we have. So it's not about food, it's about the heart. It's not what goes in, but what comes out that defiles a man. It's about man's heart, and man's heart is revealed either in his obedience or his disobedience to God. What's in a man's heart is what will be revealed by what comes out and what is seen in a man's life. We're either giving witness to the light of Christ or to the darkness of this world. Our life is our witness to God in this world. We can say the right things, but if we don't live the right thing, what we say doesn't mean anything. Our witness to Christ, our obedience to God, our lifestyle and our living matter. This letter written to these Gentile churches was not about pleasing or not pleasing legalistic Jews or receiving a pass in a pagan world. It was not then, nor is it today, about pleasing the culture, though we want to make it all about pleasing the culture today. It is today and has always been about pleasing God you and I are not going to stand before the culture one day and give account. We're going to stand before God Almighty. And there's going to be a lot of people who may wish they would have taken that seriously in the day they stand before the Lord God Almighty. It's about pleasing God in the face of a licentious, and legalistic world it's about pleasing God in the midst in the midst of rampant idolatry or rigid religiosity that's who the Pharisees were they were rigid religionist they judged everything by a wooden standard and they were ready to take that wooden standard and beat you over the head with it if you didn't measure up to it on the other hand you had the pagan world that said anything goes it doesn't matter It's about pleasing God in a world filled with temptation and easy access sin. These Gentiles lived in a culture very much like our own today. Sexual immorality and sexual license was accepted. Obedience to God mattered then and it matters today. There is no holiness if we do not obey God. You can't be holy and not obey God. And we have no witness to Christ without obedience to his word. So it is necessary, this is what they wrote to these Gentiles, it is necessary that you abstain from sexual immorality. So let's talk about a very safe subject today, sexual immorality. Nothing controversial, except what does sexual immorality mean? What did the Jerusalem Council, what did those Jews mean when they said it is necessary for you to abstain from sexual immorality? I mean, talk about a general statement. Talk about something that can appear to be very ambiguous. But what I want you to know is that it was anything but general, and it was anything but ambiguous. For our modern times, there is no doubt the most controversial part of this little letter in these four decrees is this command to abstain from sexual immorality. But I want you to know that there was no controversy among the Jews, and there was no controversy among the believing Gentiles when it came to defining sexual immorality. They understood exactly what was being written here. The writers of the decree, along with the ones receiving it, understood clearly without confusion how this applied to their lives. Now, we profess we're confused today, but I don't think people are really confused. I think they're just rebellious. And in fact, that's exactly what the Bible tells us. That's exactly what Romans 1 tells us. Man's problem is not he's confused. Man's problem is not that he's ignorant. Man's problem is that he is rebellious. We suppress the truth in righteousness is what Paul writes. That's man's problem, our suppression of the truth in rebellion to God. This is not about ignorance. This is not about, well, they never knew. No, they do know. In fact, Paul says, this is why every man, every man, even those men and women on remote islands who'll never have a middle-aged, bald-headed, white missionary with a big, big Bible come to their island and tell them, you must believe in Jesus. Because the Bible says every human being that has and does and will exist on planet Earth is without excuse because his the invisible attributes of the creator are clearly seen. Therefore, they are without excuse. So it's not ignorance that's our problem, though ignorance can be a problem. And God says, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. But it's not ignorance in the sense that we're just victims who don't know any better. No, we are victims of our own rebellion. That's what we're victims of. The law of Moses preached in the synagogues every Sabbath was well known. So well known, there were synagogues in every city. Where there was a Jew, where there were ten Jews, there was a synagogue. That's what you had to have, ten Jews to create a synagogue. And there were Jews throughout the known world, far and wide. There were synagogues everywhere. This happened during the Babylonian dispersion. And God did this on purpose to create these centers of teaching and worship so that the law of God would be spread throughout the earth. So these Gentiles, even though they were Gentiles, they knew the law. They knew what the Jews believed because the Jews had been living this. And they took pride in their, their ability to keep the law. The law of Moses preached in the synagogue every Sabbath was well known. The laws covering idolatry, foods, and sexual immorality were clear. The term sexual immorality encompassed all things related to human sexuality that the Bible calls sinful. What was deemed necessary by the Jerusalem Council was perfectly in keeping with God's Word and God's holiness. This was a specific reference to the laws governing sexual immorality in the book of Leviticus and affirmed throughout the Scripture. Many of these things are why Israel suffered judgments from God by invading countries, invading armies, carrying them off, destroying their cities, and and doing the things that invading armies did back then. They didn't have a Geneva Convention back then. Uh, Warfare back then, as, as horrible as it is today, We can't imagine what it was like back then because there were no high courts. There was no one holding them responsible. When an invading army went in, they just did whatever they wanted to do. And the prophets affirmed these things because Israel continually fell into this sinfulness which led to idolatry. Those things that God deemed sexually immoral applied to all humanity, not just Jews living under the law. This is important. The basis of this is found in the record of creation. Leviticus 18 deals specifically with sexual immorality and is book-ended in verse 5 and verse 30 with, I am the Lord. So, for instance, in Leviticus 18, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's worth you reading. Go home and read Leviticus 18. In fact... Leviticus is the book of the Bible in which God is recorded speaking more than any other book. We don't like to read it because it's boring to us. We think it's irrelevant. But when we say the book of Leviticus is boring and irrelevant, we're saying God's words spoken to man are boring and irrelevant. And I think we should rethink that. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Leviticus 18.1, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Listen. I am the Lord your God, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, past tense, you shall not do. He's telling them this after they've come out of Egypt. Don't do what you did in Egypt. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, looking to the future, you shall not do that either, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And then God begins to lay out all of these do's and don'ts. So from verses 6 to 18, he deals with sexual sin. In the context of kinship, and this is what Paul's dealing with in 1 Corinthians 5 when he says to the church, what's wrong with you guys? You got a guy here who, is, who has taken his father's wife. This is an abomination that even the Gentiles don't do, and, and here it is in the church. And he goes on, and he goes through, and, and all of these things, this is part of the holiness code, is listed here. We get down to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. And verse 21 says, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. The fire of Moloch is where they sacrifice children to Moloch. And you take your firstborn, and you'd offer him to the fire of Moloch. And the promise Moloch said, If you give me your firstborn in put him in the fire and sacrifice him, I'll I'll, I'll bless your life. And this is what Israel fell into. Now, you might wonder, what in the heck does this have to do with sexual sin? Well, what does abortion have to do with reproductive rights? And what does abortion have to do with health care? Do You see how God puts this in here? And he links this with sexual immorality. The same way we link abortion with reproductive rights and woman's health care. Women have reproductive rights. You don't have to get pregnant. And sacrificing your child to Moloch is not the answer. And that's exactly what we're doing with abortion. We just put a different face on it. But it is the same God, the same demonic influence. That's causing over 3,000 babies to be sacrificed every day at the altar of Moloch. We call it abortion. We call it health care. We call it reproductive rights. But it is just as demonic and just as wicked as what took place in those pagan lands that Israel became involved with. This is equivalent to churches and pastors going to abortion clinics and blessing them. And that, that happens. We have segments of the church. I don't know whether they're going to all make it to heaven or not, but they call themselves the church, and so we take them at their word. And this is why I, for one, am calling them out. That's like going to the altar of Moloch and blessing it in the name of the Lord God Almighty and say, Lord, bless the, bless the families who bring their children to offer them in the fire of Moloch. No. That's wickedness. I'm just dealing with what's in the scripture. This is in the Bible. we got to deal with it. This is what the world doesn't want you to know. This is what much of the church doesn't want to talk about today because it's too politically incorrect. It's too culturally unacceptable to say these things because we're going to make someone feel bad. Well, if I can make someone feel bad enough that their soul will be saved, I'll take that all day long. If they can be convicted of their sin and realize what's happening. The very next verse, verse 22 you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. I won't go on, but you can imagine it continues. And then he says in verse 34, 24, do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. So we don't like to read the book of Joshua. Christians today, they're actually Christians today. There's pastors today. There's seminaries today that say the book of Joshua presents this mean God. This is not the God we worship because God would never send a people in to to drive another people out of the land. Really? That's exactly what God did. And God tells us exactly why they were driven out of the land here. They were so abominable. Their practices were so sinful and so horrible. God said, listen, the land is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it. And you know what happened to Israel? They were carried They were vomited out by the land multiple times because they did not obey God and they began to practice these very things and got into idolatry. God gave the law to the children of Israel so that they would be different in every way from the peoples of the land God was giving to them. There was a reason why God told them to eat differently and dress differently. It wasn't because the food was sinful It wasn't because certain cloths are mixing certain cloths. Listen, I've got a polyester blend shirt on right now and I'm not in sin. Yet the Bible says don't mix linen with wool, don't don't have mixed garments. There was a reason for that. And it was to make Israel different from all the other nations. The laws and the ordinances governing food and clothing and worship were designed to keep Israel true to God, to keep them from mixing with these nations and becoming worshipers of false gods, living the same sinful lifestyles accepted by these nations. The sexual immorality of these nations was so pervasive that God called even the land defiled, so much so that the land itself would vomit out its inhabitants. The people of God were commanded to not defile themselves with any of these things. This was so well known that there was no question concerning the definition of sexual immorality. There is still no question today from the Bible's point of view. It is only man who in his sin and rebellion that calls this into question. Listen, think about what God said about those inhabitants and those practices. We must know how this Old Testament command translates into our life today. It's commonly taught today that Jesus never mentioned homosexuality, therefore he did not consider it a sin. Jesus didn't mention bestiality, and he didn't mention pedophilia. He didn't mention those either. So should we draw the same false conclusions about those things as well? I don't think anyone's going to argue that point today. There's maybe some that do. We're getting there. But for the most part, most people would, would, would still say those are sinful things. So the argument, the argument, the logic doesn't hold. And there is a perfectly logical reason. Jesus didn't feel compelled at all to define those things, to mention those things specifically. Because marriage is the foundation of our sexual ethic. Jesus did not need to specifically mention these because the teachings of the Bible were so clear. Jesus did not mention marriage specifically. Jesus did mention marriage specifically, and it is in God's definition of marriage that we find the foundation of all. Sexual ethic presented in the Bible. The sexual ethic of the Bible is presented in the record of creation. Marriage between a man and a woman is the foundation of all sexual ethics. When the Supreme Court redefined marriage, basically what they did was said, a circle is not a circle anymore, it is now a triangle. And we say, nope, that that doesn't work. A circle can't be a triangle. And the Supreme Court says, nope, that's what it is. We decree it so. All circles are now triangles. And it is so because we say it is so. But we live practically in this world. We function practically in this world. And we know circles aren't triangles. And we we can know what the Supreme Court says, but the world doesn't function that way. If you try to build something, believing that circles are triangles, they ain't going to work very well for you. From sex outside of marriage to homosexuality to adultery, marriage is the foundation of our understanding of what it is and what is not sexual, immoral. So let's go to the beginning. Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. The binary gender formula of creation that we understand that the world is trying to change, they can call circles, triangles all day long, but guess what? Circles are still going to be circles, and triangles are still going to be triangles. They can call men women all day long and and women men. But guess what? Men are still going to be men and women are going to be women because that is biology. And now they even say biology doesn't matter. Chromosomes don't matter. Genetics don't matter. It's what you believe that matters. Well, how come that's not true when it comes to faith? How come we don't want to apply the same science to creation that we want to apply to gender identity. Or Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I mean, even we know this in basic plumbing. If you're trying to fix your broken plumbing, you cannot fix your broken plumbing with two males or two female pieces of PVC. If you don't have a male and a female PVC piece, you will not fix your plumbing. Now, you can put them together, you can glue them, you can tape them all day long till the cows come home, but I promise you, it ain't going to work. You know what else doesn't work? The created order is the created order. Kick against it all you want. Believe different all you want. It is what it is. Circles are circles. Triangles are triangles. Men are men, and women are women. Now, that doesn't mean that people can't be confused. That doesn't mean that people can't have issues. But when we as a society say that those things can now redefine the created order, we've gone to a different place, and it's a dangerous place. So Jesus gives us the foundation of all sexual ethic when he defines marriage from the record of creation. From this, there is no reason for Jesus to expound beyond this foundational truth. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? There it is, right there. That is the foundation of the sexual ethic. There is no reason for Jesus to mention homosexuality. There is no reason for Jesus to mention bestiology. There is no reason for Jesus to mention any other thing. Right there is our sexual ethic. One man, one woman joined together in holy matrimony, marriage, be fruitful and multiply. It doesn't work any other way. We can make adoptions legal, we can make social contracts legal, we can make civil contracts legal, we can redefine marriage, but the world only functions the way God created it to function. It still takes a man and a woman to make a baby because that is the created order. Now you can have all of the things that modern technology gives us, we can have, you know, uh, we can take the, seed of a man and implanted into a woman and those two women can call that their child that they produced, but they didn't produce it. It took a man to produce that. It took a woman. It took a a man and a woman to make that baby. However it happened, through a test tube or or through natural relationships, it still took a man and a woman. We can see how the enemy is working to destroy the family. If marriage can be destroyed and or redefined, the result is the same. Sexual immorality is normalized. This is happening by seeking destroyed the sexual ethic rooted in the marriage relationship between a man and a woman, the marriage relationship that God created. Man didn't create that. God created it. From marriage, our sexual ethic and our sexual immorality is clearly defined. It's no accident that today you have movements. Take, for instance, Black Lives Matter. The Black Lives Matter movement, if you go to their website, I did it just this morning, just to check again to make sure nothing had changed. The disruption of the Western nuclear family is one of their core beliefs. Have to disrupt the Western nuclear family. They don't talk about fathers in there. They talk about mothers and children. You know why? Because in the black community, fatherlessness is the problem. Racism is a sin. But you need to understand that much of what's being talked about today is not about racism. It's about the destruction of the foundations of our civilization. And it's, it's out there. It's plain as day. They, may, they don't hide it. And it's not just Black Lives Matter. It's not just that movement. They are, they are fundamentally part of Marxism. Who's Marx? Read your history and understand who Karl Marx is, was and what he believed and why so much of what's happening today is not just about politics. This is about the destruction of the foundations of why we are free today. Of why we're not worried about someone coming in here and arresting us because we believe in Jesus. It's why we are going to vote for our leaders come November. It's why you can go to the store, not as free as you used to be able to, and get anything you want. And not worry about whether it's on the shelf or not. All of what we're experiencing today is because we have abandoned our foundations. And our foundation is the gospel. Our foundation is what God created. And this is not an accident. This is what the enemy does. It's using these things like race, that everyone agrees racism is sinful but we want to create new movements and new ideologies and new philosophies. No, we, we've already got the greatest tool to destroy racism and inequality and, and, and those things that hold people captive and hinder their ability to, to achieve and to live free. It's the gospel, it's called the gospel. We don't need a social justice movement. We have the gospel. We don't need these other things. We have the gospel. And so we use these things like race to promote sexual identity politics, transgenderism, homosexuality, and other sins that cannot be normalized while holding to a biblical worldview. Racism has become a culturally convenient way to guilt people into accepting and supporting movements that have nothing to do with racial equality and everything to do with removing the biblical foundation of our civilization. Homosexuality and all other forms of sexual immorality, gay or straight, it doesn't matter. Sexual immorality applies to all. These fall outside the sexual ethic presented in marriage between a man and a woman. This is why the Bible specifically forbids a man to lay with another man, as with a woman, or for a woman to exchange the natural use of her body. The Apostle Paul addresses these specific things in his letter to the Romans when he writes in Romans 1.24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due The New Testament clearly addresses these sins because the Old Testament clearly addresses them And when that letter was written to those gentile churches there was no uh, no no thought even remotely, that, well, you know, we serve the God of the New Testament now, and that Old Testament God, he's a thing of the past. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The New Testament addresses these sins because God addresses them in his word. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived neither fornicators, there's that word, the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, or sodomites. In the ESV it says, nor men who practice homosexuality, but it gives a picture of two different types of men, effeminate men and men who, it's the King James translates it sodomites. It is the picture of two men in a relationship with one another that is not biblical, that is not natural nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You notice that Paul is not picking on one in particular sin. He's saying sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice sinful lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what does this have to do with what we're talking about? So when someone says, well, you know, if you eat bacon with your breakfast taco, then you can't believe that homosexuality is still a sin. Because if God says it's okay to eat bacon with your breakfast taco, then it must be okay. If he let one law go, then he has to let the other law go. Well, that's assuming a lot of things that are very incorrect. Number one, our sexual ethic didn't begin with Moses. Our sexual ethic began in the garden when God said he created a man and a woman And designed for them to become one flesh and be fruitful and multiply. And everything sexual outside the context of that marriage. That's why we tell our young men and our young women that premarital sex is sinful. Why? Because the Bible says it is. Because our sexual ethic is defined within the context of marriage That God created, and this takes us all the way back to the beginning in the garden. God told Noah, I've given you everything for food when he comes off the ark. The food laws that God gave to Israel were very specific to distinguish Israel from the other nations. Now you notice that we're not all dressed like Orthodox Jews here today. In fact, I don't see anybody dressed like an Orthodox Jew here today. We could go out and we would look just like anybody else walking around on the streets. Well, how are people going to know whether you're a Christian or not? How are going to people know what? How are they going to know whether you're a follower of God or not if you don't have all black and you got your phylactery strapped to your forearm or in your forehead? And you know, us men don't don't trim our beards and we got these curly locks coming down. The, how how are they going to know if we're not dressed that way? It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of him. They're going to know by the fruit of your life. They're going to know by how you live your life, by how you talk, by how loving and how kind you are, not meaning that you're afraid to tell people the truth. If you were a patient and you had a terminal illness, would you want your doctor to be the one to say, well, you know, I really want to tell them they're dying, but I don't want to make them feel bad. So let's just pretend like they're not. Is that the doctor you want to go to? If, you, if your loved one died and then you said, Doc, what happened? He said, well, I knew, they, I knew they had a terminal illness, but I just didn't want to make you guys feel bad, so I didn't tell you the truth. You would sue that doctor for malpractice, wouldn't you? Well, why is it okay for pastors to say, well, I don't want to tell people that's sinful because it might make them feel bad. It's okay for people to go to hell To prevent them from feeling bad? Mm, I don't think so. Why don't we apply the same standard to God's truth that we apply to so many other things? We wouldn't do that. We don't do that. God calls us to holiness. He calls us to obey all of his commands. What distinguishes us today is our lifestyle. It's our love for God and our love for one another. It's not in the foods we eat. It's not in what we wear. Those things can, but that's, that's not the point. It's what's in our heart. And if Jesus is in our heart, then our life should look like the life of Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus understood very well what sexual immorality was. And he made it very clear that it was sinful. He calls us to be witnesses. Witnesses to him in a world filled with sin and rebellion all around. And every time we come to the Lord's table, we give witness. We witness to powers and principalities. We give witness to one another We need this witness and we need the power that we proclaim when we proclaim His body and His blood. It is that witness of Christ who gave Himself up for us. That's the witness we proclaim as we get ready to come to this table. When we take that bread and we take that cup and we eat and we drink and we proclaim the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, and remember, we don't believe that that bread becomes the body of Jesus. And we don't believe the, the substance in that cup becomes the blood of Jesus. And we say Jesus is present at this table because you are present at this table. Because the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says Christ lives in you and Christ in you is the hope of glory. See, Christ is present because you are present And Christ is in you. And if Christ is in you, if Christ is in me, then our life has to demonstrate that. And should bear witness to that. It's not what we're eating and drinking that defiles us. It's what's coming out of our hearts, seen in our obedience to Christ that bears witness and glorifies Him. As you trust in Jesus, whether you're a member of this local congregation, if you are a part of the body of Christ, come and welcome to Jesus. We'll take the elements together. We'll all take them together after everyone's been served. Let's all stand. Here's your charge. Like Israel of old, we are called to be different from the world. Not necessarily in the way we dress, or the way we eat, or in other superficial ways. But in the things that come out of our life. Scripture says that now we do all things as unto the Lord. So it is not merely the outward things that distinguish us from the world, but most importantly the inward things. It is the heart. And from the heart the mouth speaks. Our life should make manifest the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us. All things being the same, there should be a difference between us and those of the world. This is true because we have been given a new heart, a new life, and the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And it should show through our life. What we do, how we live, in private, in public, those matter. We do not live isolated lives, nor were we meant to. We are called a body, a family. We are connected to one another. Our hearts, our love for God and His Word are revealed through our life. We are always giving witness to the powers and the principalities in heavenly places. We are also seen by the world and by those around us. What we do and how we do it matters. How we worship how we fellowship, how we work, and how we play, and how we live. It all gives witness to Christ. It all matters. It is God who has the authority to say what is right and what is wrong. He alone defines what is sin and what is not sin. No man will love the law of God while he hates the God of the law. Love God, follow Christ. Live for Christ. Abide in Christ. Make Him known in every way in every day. The world needs Jesus and we have Him. Don't hide your light. Let it shine big and bright for all to see. God commands it. Amen. As you go out today, if you've not already given for the Morehouse family, Frankie's back there and you can drop your gift in there. a way that we will give witness to this family that even though many of us do not know them have never met them maybe you will never meet them they are our family they are our brothers our sisters to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen.